We are in the book of Colossians. We're going to be finishing chapter 1. Only took us five weeks to get through Colossians 1, but there's so much good stuff there. How can you just rush it? So we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 29 today. 19 to 29. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you a Bible. Anybody need a Bible? Keep your hand up so they can see you. They'll get one to you. We've got a couple up here. Colossians chapter 1. Say amen if you're there. We ready? Okay, let's look at verses uh, 19 through 29, Colossians chapter 1. Here we go. And you, oh wait, 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether the things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Can you say amen? amen? If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Oh, Lord, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that you would just do surgery in our hearts today, Lord God. Wake us up to who you are and what you have for us, Lord God, and what your desires are for us, Lord. Thank you for this time that we can dig into this word. We pray that you would help to grow us in the grace and knowledge of you. So give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd entitled this message, Jesus Did It All. Hello. What did you do? Nothing. Good answer. Good answer. This is, this is what's so important to understand about Christianity. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man's attempt to right himself with God. You can't. Everything outside of Christianity is religion. It's all trying to earn favor with a God that's not really even a God. There's only one God. His name is Jesus. He died for our sins. 
He's the fullness of the Godhead, as we just read. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one. He did the unthinkable to come down and die for you to, to bring forth salvation and present a gift to you to take it. Why? Because we fell into sin. Right from the get-go. Adam and Eve blew it, and because they blew it, we were all born in sin. Hello. We inherited it. You say, well, I would have done it different if I was Adam and Eve. No, you wouldn't. You would have blown it too. But here's the thing. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So our God did the unthinkable, the unimaginable, and came down clothed in flesh and dwelt among the people. The creator of the universe. Are you kidding me? Lived a simple life. A rock was his pillow. Born in a manger, stuck in a feeding trough. Didn't have the greatness, greatest things of this world. You tell me what world leader would take the position of president, prime minister, or king to live amongst the poor and the poverty-stricken in their country. That would be a true leader. But politics has become a moneymaker, a lifetime career where the elite are so much better than the common people. And that's not how God wanted it. We're all equal in God's eyes. There is no Jew or Gentile, bond or free, man or woman in God's eyes. There's only one in Christ if you're a believer. There's only two groups in the world, unbelievers and believers. That's it. That's it. There's only two kingdoms. The kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. Which one are you in? Well, I don't believe in heaven and I don't believe in hell. There's no kingdom of gray. There's only two choices. Pick one. Stop fighting God. He's done everything possible to give you eternal life. And he sets a gift in front of you. He says, open the gift, live forever. Jesus did it all. We just came to the table. He begged us to come. We came. He loved us so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But God's love for the world won't save the world. He loves the unbeliever, but the unbeliever needs to respond to God's love. Otherwise, it's rape. He's not going to force his love on any of us. Listen, even as believers, does God force you to serve him? That was really weak. Does God force you as believers to serve him? You still have free will. Don't you think he's worth serving? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, stop fighting God. Take the gift and live forever. Open it up and have eternal life. There's only two directions, and as long as you have breath, you have hope. But why would you want to wait till the last moment? You could go out today and die. Car wreck, drown, choke on Burger King. Nobody knows their, their time. Yeah, I know, you're young. You think, I'm going to live forever. You don't know that. I've done funerals for babies. I've done funerals for old people, young people. You don't know your time. God does. But as long as you have breath, you have hope. Jesus did everything for us. We, we covered last week that he is the image of the invisible God. 
He's the image of the invisible God. He's, he's everything. He's the image of the invisible God. That's why he's, when he talked to Philip and Philip says, show us the Father. He said, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the complete package. He's, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the creator of all things. All things were made by him and for him. He was before all things. He created all things, and by him all things consist. What does that mean? That means he holds everything in his hand. He's holding this world together. We know one day he's going to let it go, and this whole world's going to blow. And then we're going to watch him create a whole new heaven and earth. But he holds us in his hand. That song, he's got the whole world in hand, that's, that's biblically sound. Because when he lets go and he blows it, he's going to make a whole new heavens and earth. But right now he's holding it all together. And it takes more power to hold this world together than to let go. And I want to encourage you because if you're here today and you're going through something, listen, he's got the power to hold you together. He's holding you together right now. He will see you through it. He will walk you across that finish line. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you, even in the storm. And there'll be a rainbow. There'll be gold refined after that fiery trial. He's with you always. He's the fullness of the God, and it tells us there in verse 19, it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. When you look at Jesus, you see everything that God is. Well, I, I want to know more about God. Read the Bible. The only thing that God puts above his name is his word. And Jesus Christ is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Pick up the Bible. Read it. You'll know all about God. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. And by him, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It's because of what he did on the cross that we even have an option. You shouldn't be amazed that there's only one way to be saved. You should be amazed that there is a way. And Jesus made the way by dying for our sins. And that's why he had to come into our world, clothed in flesh, fully man, fully God. He had to die as a man for man's sins. Wherefore, we're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By his blood at the cross. That's why he said at the cross, it is finished. Listen, if you're here today and you're driven by works because religion is driven by works, I don't care what religion it is, it's driven by works. Christianity, relationship, not a religion. But if you're here today and you're driven by works, Jesus at the cross, before he gave up the Spirit, said it is finished. He did not say to be continued. He did not say do your part. He said it is finished. He did it, not you. He did it. Now take the gift of salvation and live forever. He's reconciled us to himself. What does that mean? To be brought back into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, man, how many times I, like, strayed off the path. I know none of you understand what I'm saying right now. And, and God in his love 
was standing, watching the horizon for me to come back. And then when he saw me coming back, he ran to me, put a robe on me and a ring on my finger and loved me, forgave me, and brought me back into a right relationship with him. That's, our, that's how good our father is. In verse 21, he says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Does that describe you? Were you an enemy of the cross? Were you an enemy of God? Every one of us before Jesus Christ was dead in our trespasses and sins. All had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you went out of your way to persecute Christians. Some of you went out of your way to make fun of Christians. Some of you called them Jesoids and cracked jokes and made fun, and now you're one. And now they make fun of you. Praise God. You woke up. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were doing stuff we shouldn't do. How many of you were doing that? Don't raise your hand. But here's the great thing. Check this out. This is how good our God is. The Father was drawing us before we were saved. Drawing us to himself. The Holy Spirit was calling us, calling your name. And Jesus pursued you. The Father drawing, the Holy Spirit calling, but Jesus went after you. He tackled you all in love. He said, I want you to be mine. And you tapped out. You surrendered. You said, I'm trying to do it my way. I'm, tar- I'm trying, tired of trying to do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. Now you're a winner. Now you're a child of God. Now you have eternal life. Grab on to that. Grab on to where you're going. I'll tell you what, look at the world. I think we're going to be there a lot quicker than you think. We might not see next winter at Hanalei. Jesus could come. I know some of you don't believe. Oh, they've been saying that for you. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, look at what's going on. Check out. One world rule is coming. And that's biblical. That means Jesus is coming soon. You were once aliens and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you. Check this out. This is how God sees you. Holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Hello. So the next time you get an argument with your spouse, you say, well, haven't you read Colossians? I'm blameless. No, I'm just kidding. That won't work. But you know what I'm saying. (laughs) See, when, when I tell you that I'm holy and I'm blameless and I'm above reproach, you don't see that. But he does. Why? Because he sees the finished work. He already sees us seated in the heavenlies. When we're down here crying and stressed, And wondering what we're going to do next, he's like, take it easy. I already see you here in heaven. Does that make sense? He already sees you crossing the finish line. 
And we're going to look back and we're going to understand why all the storms we went through, why they were there. Why did he allow us to go through these tough times? Because it built character. Because it's in those tough times it brings us closer to Jesus Christ. I don't grow when everything's going great. I'm sorry to confess that to you, but I think you know what I'm saying. When do you get close to Jesus during the tough times? Now, these words, holy, blameless, and above reproach, these are words that a priest would use when examining the sacrifice before it's offered up. Because remember, the sacrifice had to be without blemish. That's why the sacrifice for man had to be God. Holy, blameless, above reproach, without blemish. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, spotless. He who knew no sin became sin for you and me that we might become the righteousness of God. He did that for you. He was the only one that could do it. In verse 23, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, oh, oh, there it is, there's the catch. I'm only holy, blameless, and above reproach. If indeed I, oh, I knew there was a catch. This is, this is a verse that people will say you can lose your salvation. I can't lose my salvation. No man can pluck me out of his hand. I didn't save myself, he saved me, nor do I, do I keep myself. He keeps me by his power. I can't save myself, I can't lose my salvation because he promised to seal me with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's job is to get me to the finish line. Now I may blow it and I may stray away, but Philippians 1.6 says, be confident of this very thing that he that begun the good work in you will complete it. That's based on him. He's going to finish the work he started to you. You just need to yield. Stop fighting God. Wake up. There's only one God. He's the creator of all the universe. He created everything. Everything you see, he created. Stop worshiping phony gods. Stop going after false teaching. Stick to the word of God. You say, well, that sounds mean. That sounds rude. I'm sorry. I've got to give you truth because it tells me in verse 28, we just read it, that I'm called to warn you. How can I warn you if I don't point out Jehovah Witness in Mormonism is a lie? That Hinduism and Buddhism is a lie? That Islam is a lie? That New Age, Baha'i faith, lies. Guys, I'm doing this because I love you. And Jesus is pleading with you, stop messing around with things that are going to send you to hell and go to Jesus Christ. Run to them. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. I'm not trying to be, I have a love for the lost. I love people that don't know Jesus Christ. And I want to share that love so they could have everlasting life. I don't go out to bash Muslims and Jehovah Witness and Mormons. I go out to love on them to share the word of God. Because I want to see them saved because I was one of them. I was straight away. I was on my way to hell. 
Jesus pursued me. He got a hold of me, and I woke up. And somebody that attends this church led me to the Lord. He went, my friend went after me. I almost wanted to slap him. I walked out of his house all upset, went down to pine trees. He followed me, got in my car, and I broke down and gave my life to Jesus. When it says here, if indeed you continue in the faith, the word in the Greek is a word that means sense. It's like when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, if you're the son of God, change these rocks. Remember Satan said that? Well, you know, you're, you've been fasting for 40 days. If you're the son of God, change these rocks into bread. He wasn't saying if, like, well, if you claim to be God, if you really are, prove it. He wasn't saying it like that. The word is since you're the son of God, sense. So this isn't like you can lose your salvation. This isn't like if you do all these things and jump through all these hoops, you might be able to pull it off. He just encourages us, since we're going to continue in the faith, be grounded, be steadfast, and not moved away by the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which it, I, Paul, became a minister. That's what he's saying, the importance of us to continue to grow. Don't just say you're a Christian and don't open up your Bible during the week. Are you kidding me? Why did, why did the Lord give the children of Israel bread every day and told them not to save up for the next day? Because he wanted them to be relying on him day to day. And the word is bread. And, and you need to be in this word every day. If, if, you know, if, if your week gets all messed up and you're just you're so stoked to get here on Sunday... Because you get a fresh feeding, you're ready and energized to go back out during the week. Um, just get in the Word every day, and maybe you'll have a better week. Pray before you get out of bed. <laughs> At our age, yeah, exactly, right? The importance of us to continue to grow, to know the Bible, so when false teachings come, we just go, up, oh, red flag. That's not in my Bible. You need to know that. We need to be reproducing ourselves in ministry. That's what I tell everybody in ministry here at Calvary Chapel North Shore. I go teach somebody to do your job so I can put you somewhere else. Replace yourself. We're, we're living water. We're supposed to be growing and reproducing. Sheep reproduce sheep. We're not stagnant water. We're living water. We're supposed to be reproducing ourselves. We need to be pouring into the next generation. That's what our ministries here are doing. They're pouring into the next generation, preparing our kids to carry the torch, to continue in sound doctrine, to not be blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine that's out there, the latest and greatest. I'll tell you what, the, 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 the Bible has been the solid teaching of God's heart to God's people from day one. You don't need to listen to all this junk out there. You just need to listen. See, listen, the Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit's in Hello. Well, you know, I read Jeremiah and I don't understand it. Who does? But he gives me little tidbits. Isaiah, Ezekiel. You know, you're like going, whoa. Why Leviticus, Lord, right? You know, I mean, you, you read some of these things, you go, what? but you've got the creator of the universe dwelling in you. And God is going to let you understand because you're a diligent, 
He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because you're diligent to read through the word of God, even though you don't understand it, he is going to open your eyes to certain verses at certain times in your life right when you need it. You may be in the, in, in, in the Lord for 20, 30 years, and you've read the same passage for 20, 30 years. You don't get it, and all of a sudden, one day, he just goes, there it is for you. And you go, what? That was what it meant? Paul says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, the word suffering here does not refer to us suffering like Christ suffered on the cross. It's not referring to that. It's referring to us that because we're Christians, because we're in ministry, we're going to suffer in the same respect like Jesus suffered during his ministry. You and I will never experience what he experienced on the cross. Hello. Get over it. But you will experience what he experienced during ministry. You'll be rejected. Jesus said, don't be surprised if they hate you. They hated me. Don't be surprised if they persecute you. They persecuted me. <laughs> Philippians 3.10 says, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. We want the power I don't want to fellowship with the suffering. But it's through those times that we grow our most. And the fellowship of his suffering, what's that mean? That means you're doing what he's called you to do. And when we do what he's called us to do, there's going to be tough times because the world's going to fight you. Your family's going to fight you. Your kids may fight you. The unbelievers will definitely fight you. They'll say horrible things about you. They'll talk bad about you. They'll disown you. They'll walk away from you. They'll spread gossip and lies about you. Oh, my gosh, you know what I'm talking about. And you will suffer for doing the right thing. Paul says, I suffer. Paul says, I'm in prison, and I am just rejoicing over a church. I've never even met you guys. But your pastor used to hang out with me when I was in Ephesus, and, and he, he got encouraged in the Lord. He went back and started this church. He's telling me what's going on, and I'm rejoicing to God for what God's doing in your life because you're a bunch of Gentiles, and I was sent to the Gentiles, and I'm in prison because I did my job. Are, are you in a prison today because you did your job? Are you willing to do what God's asking you to do even though if people don't really accept you? Are you willing to give truth to someone who might not like you? Well, Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when you're reviled and, per and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 25, he says, Of which I became a minister According to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The mystery. To them, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Hallelujah? Anybody? (laughs) The mystery was hidden. When Daniel was writing the book of Daniel by the power of the Holy Spirit, he talked about the 70th week of Daniel, and he talked about those 70 weeks that Israel would go through. There was a gap between the 69th and the 70th because he didn't understand the gap. He knew that when Jesus or the Messiah would ride in that triumphal entry, that would be the completion of the 69th week. But Israel as a whole rejected the Messiah. And so now there's a gap. And what did God do? He, he snuggled in between the 69th and the 70th week, the church. And it's been, over, it's been 2,000 years. And when he comes for his church... And we're taken off this planet, the rapture of the body of Christ. We will, the world will enter into that 70th week. But Daniel never knew about the church. Matthew 13, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm only going to speak to the people now in parables. Why? Because in Matthew 12, he cast out demons out of a guy. And the religious experts said that he cast out Satan by Satan. And Jesus like, you guys are stupid. No, he didn't say that, but he's like, a house divided can't stand. Satan casting out Satan? And so he said, from that point on, I'm not going to straight talk you anymore. I'm going to speak to you in parables. And his disciples said, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he said, so they don't necessarily understand unless they're truly seeking. Then the Holy Spirit will reveal to them what I'm trying to say. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 spoke of the mystery that was hidden from the foundations of the world. That Gentiles would be partakers. That there would be this church. And that the Holy Spirit would dwell inside each and every one of us. That blew the Jews away. They were the chosen people. When they found out Gentiles were getting in. I mean, what? They were like, what? You, you mean they can just get in? They don't have to jump through the... Wait a minute, because see, Old Testament Jews, they believed that, that, they, that there's scripture about Gentiles being saved. But they, they believed that the Gentile had to become a Jew first. And even after the resurrection, in order to be a Christian, you had to become, if you were a Gentile, Jew first. Then you could become a Christian, but you had to become a Jew first. That's why that legalism crept in. Keep the law of Moses. Do this. Dietary law. Blah, blah, blah. See, God did that in the very beginning in the Old Testament because he wanted the world to see a people set apart from the world. Israel was chosen to bring the word of God to the world. But they had to look different from the world. That's why they dressed different. That's why they ate different. That's why they celebrated the feast. That's why they offered up sacrifice to one God, the true and living God. So people would see it and want what they have. But the problem was Israel started to get puffed up in their pride, and they started to think they were better than everybody else, and they missed the opportunity when the Messiah came. Though Jews would get saved, Israel will have to make their decision during the tribulation as a nation. So what was tough 
for the church in Jerusalem was when guys like Peter and Paul are coming back saying, Gentiles are getting saved, and, and you know they're not jumping through all these hoops, and they're not changing, and they're not getting circumcised, and they're not going to dietary laws, and they don't have to worship certain feasts, and don't let anybody judge you over food or drink or moons or Sabbaths or anything like that. And, and these guys were like, are you kidding me? They need to do this stuff. They need to become Jews before they become Christians. And and then Peter stands up and he says, why are we trying to put a burden on them that we and our fathers couldn't even do? So Gentiles is just, they get in by just believing, yep. And Jews too. That's the good news. Salvation is for all. You know, in, in Matthew 20, there was this Lord, this master, who had a vineyard. And he went out early in the morning to get workers for the vineyard. He said, listen, you want to work for me today? I'll pay you a penny. They're like, whoa, a penny? That's awesome. I mean, that was big stuff back then. And so they decided to work, and they were all stoked. Then he went out at 9 o'clock, and he hired some more. And he went out at 12, he hired some more. And he went out at 3, and he hired some more. He went out around dark, and hired some more. And those last guys just worked for about an hour before it was dark. And then he called everybody together to pay him. And he paid the ones that he hired last first. He was making a point. So when the ones that were working all day saw that he gave a penny to those who only work for an hour, they were thinking to themselves, oh, this is awesome. He's giving those guys a penny. He promised us a penny. We must be getting eight pennies. We were here all day. And then he gives everybody the same thing. And they got upset. And these last men in in Matthew 20, he said these last men, they cried out, they only worked one hour. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and he said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take what is yours, go your way. I wish to give to these last men the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, the first will be last, for many are called but few are chosen. Why do I read that? Um, To say to you that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, as long as you have breath, you have hope. You you may have been coming to church, but you haven't made that decision, and, and you might find yourself on your deathbed today, and your last breath, if you say, Jesus, save me, you'll be faithful. I I say that because we as Christians can get upset. Right? Just like these guys. Whoa, whoa, you gave them a penny too? They get all the perks just like us? Because here's the deal. Maybe some of you lived a lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Probably most of you. That describes our whole staff. B.C., before Christ. Hello. But then you got saved. And then you started living for Jesus. And you've been living for Jesus for 20 years, but you still got those friends that partied with you 20 years ago, and they're still going strong. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. 
And then one of them gets injured. They're on their deathbed. And in their last breath, they say, Jesus, save me. And you get upset. Why? 20 years I've been living right. 20 years I've turned away from that lifestyle. And they just get to party all their life and get saved at the last moment. Not fair. Jesus would say, so fair. So fair. What are you really upset about? He got saved. You know what they missed out on, though? Serving God. Loving people, forgiving others, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do right, to have the strength to do things you never thought you'd be able to do, to receive a reward so you can throw your crowns at Jesus' feet and say, look what you did. (laughs) Verse 28. It's him we preach, Jesus, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And for this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me mightily. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. Amen. We have Christ in us, the hope and glory. You ever try to tell people about Having God in you? Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, I just know. How do you know? Well, I just know that I know. Well, how do you know that you know? I know that I know that I know. Because I, I have the Holy Spirit in me. I have God who created everything that you're looking at dwelling in me. No, you don't. Yes, I do. How do you know? Because I know. What do you mean you know? I know that I know that I know. I can't explain to you because he dwells in me. How can I explain what I'm feeling inside? The master lives in me. What am I going to say? You're of your father, the devil? What am I going to say? You're, you're in darkness? Well, those things are true. But it's not always what you say, but how you say it. But I have Christ in me. That's the difference. You know, when, when, when I was in college, I wanted to be an art teacher. And I had all these painting and drawing classes, and then I had a chef class because I wanted to eat every day. But I... Yeah. Amen. But I had this one teacher. She was amazing. She, she, could have a, she could really speak to you how to paint, but then she would not only tell you how to do it, she would come over and she would take my hand and guide my hand. So I'm actually painting the way she's trying to tell me because why? Because she's guiding me. And I always thought to myself, how great would it be to have like just a famous artist just come live in your house to watch how he paints, to let him take your hand and guide your hand. That's what we have with Jesus. He dwells in you. He says, listen, stop doing it yourself. Let me take your hand. Let me take your feet, and I'll send you to this place when you're trying to go over here. And just let me do it. Stop fighting God. Let the Holy Spirit rule in your life. He says, we're striving, we're running. He's running a race. Paul, Paul always refers to the, the, the life of a Christian as running a race. There's no retreat. You're either standing, walking in Christ, or running. And he says in his ministry, he's running. Why? He wants to do everything he can with the limited amount of time that he has. Is that you? 
You ever, anybody ever entered a 20K run? I, I didn't. I'm just saying I hate running. Anybody? Oh, then this isn't going to work for you. 10K? Okay, all right. 5K? Okay, okay, we can do this. Let's say you're running a 20K, 10K, 5K, whatever. There's three kinds of people that run the race. There's those that just want to get the T-shirt, right? They get the T-shirt. That, you know, only the runners get that T-shirt, and they go a couple of blocks, and then they're like, got the shirt. Then there's those who want to finish the race, but they don't, they're not concerned with winning. And then there's the third group that just want to run the race to win. I think that describes three groups in the Christian church. Some who just want to get the t-shirt and make it to heaven, but don't want to do anything for God. Others that don't mind doing everything, but they're really not interested in finishing well. Just finishing. And then there are those like Paul. And there's only a handful of Pauls in the world that said, listen, I am going to run this race, and I'm going to cross that finish line, and I'm going to finish well. And the great thing is, is because he understood that if he yields himself to God, that God can do that in him. And let me encourage you, you're not racing against anybody except yourself. So run that race and finish well. He talks about preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's our job. Preaching for the lost, teaching for the saved. I like to do a little both because I always like to throw the net out every week. You never know. Somebody might be in here that doesn't know Jesus. Last week we had a handful of people got saved in both services. It was awesome. So I like to throw the net out. Preaching and teaching and warning. We've got to warn people. Hell's real. We've got to warn people. There's only one way, Jesus Christ. All this other religion out there, Trying to earn it, it's no good. It'll, you will wind up in hell, separated from the true and living God. We've got to warn people. I was going to share some other things, but I'm out of time. So if the worship team would come up, or David. If you're here today, stop fighting Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, stop fighting him. Stop hanging on to a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion, a little bit of this of the world, a little bit of that of the world. Let it go. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you from experience, when you stop fighting Jesus, you're going to win big time. And you're going to go, why did I wait so long? So let's bow our hearts. We're going to come up for communion here during the song. But before that, I want to throw the net out. I want you, if you're saved, start praying for those who might not be. Ready? Start praying. Lord, we come before you right now. And if there's someone out here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, has, knows of Jesus Christ, but hasn't accepted Christ in their hearts, you have the knowledge of Jesus, but you haven't made that confession with your heart, which is what's important. Would you do that now, please? 
Just say, Lord, I, I believe you died for me. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the only way to salvation, to heaven, to eternal life. I ask you to wash me of my sins because only you can. And to come into my heart and save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're his. Now let the Holy Spirit run your life. Surrender, yield to him. And allow God to work in you and through you and use you to blow the minds of the people around you. For the rest of us, my prayer for you is to just allow more of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Let God guide you, what you look at, what you say, what you do. Be strengthened by him. Ask for a fresh filling each and every day. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.